deviate from that a little bit and bring in a part of a phrase that's found in the Nicene Creed as well, one holy Catholic and apostolic church into our understanding of what the church is. Today we are looking at what the church is. And if you caught the children's message, you pretty much got the sermon. So, <laughs> But we're going to look at it in a, a bit greater depth today. So, some people place the church at the center of their faith. They believe if they go to the building and try to be good, that they are set for life. Right? Um, they don't have a lot of interest in what came before this in the creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, the Holy Spirit, all that stuff. But they want to come and be active in a church because it seems like a good thing to do. But we know from our study that being active in a church cannot save. God saves. And the church would be nothing but a social club without God, without the Holy Spirit. It is formed by God's grace. It is instituted by Jesus Christ, and it is empowered by the Holy Spirit. It is a living, breathing, vital organism in this world and in the world to come. Now, other people have an entirely different view of church. Uh, they say, I'm a believer and I don't need to go to church. I don't find it helpful in my personal faith. Both groups of people, to some degree, are missing the point. It's not about going to the building. Church is not a building. It's not an event. It's not some organization. It is people formed by God for God's glory and for his purpose. Uh, if you want to look at it in Scripture, uh, we can look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. It says, You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. There's a lot right there uh, for us to consider. You know, the church is compared to a few different things in scripture. The church is compared to a flock. Um, you know, it's compared to a bride. In this case, it's being compared to a building. And if you read more in there, it talks about it's being built up, made of living stones. And they're not mortared together, they're mortised together. Because stones are all different shapes and sizes. Some are big, some are small, some fit really well together, some not so well. But the Lord crafts it and puts it all together into this living building. So the first word that I want to focus on with us today is, uh, I believe in one... Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. One. One church. <laughs> right? We look around at the world. The church doesn't really seem like one, does it? It's all divided up. It's all fractured up. The United Methodist Church is going through another fracture right now. Um, you know, there's 
already been another denomination that's been birthed because of the current fracture. Um, denominations are all over the place. But the true church of Jesus Christ is only one church. When, when we sort of revel in glory in our denominational distinctives, as we like to say, <laughs> um, those things that separate us about uh, and from the other denominations, we are perhaps inadvertently glorifying the very things that have brought us to a place of division. Uh, many of the denominations that have come about have come about for very good and noble and correct reasons with regard to biblical orthodoxy and orthopraxy, but um, still, the, the body of Christ is all divided up. So different denominations come about because... Certain groups of people felt like certain aspects of truth are being adulterated or completely ignored. You know, for instance, there would never have been a Methodist church if the Anglican church of the day hadn't been so stuffy and hadn't been ignoring reaching out to people that weren't just like them. You know, I'm simplifying it a little bit, but they were very inwardly focused. And, and John Wesley read scripture and said, what? This is not what it's supposed to look like. And so, you know, he, he actually wore all of his robes and all that, but he would go out into the street and preach, you know? And rather than having the church say, come, our doors are open, come and be like us, he was out in the street preaching and had gone to them. Novel idea, right? <laughs> um, in many respects, the Anglican and Methodist churches have traded places in history once again. Uh, the Anglican church of today is very much what the Methodist church of yesterday would have been. Uh, and John Wesley probably would have been at home today. Things have swapped around a little bit. But the bride of Christ is so splintered and, and fractured, yet there is one church of Jesus Christ, regardless of how many different ways we may emphasize our differences. There's lots more that can be said on that. <laughs> uh, but we're going to move on to the next word, holy. One holy church. The idea of, of holiness. You know, when I was a kid growing up in the Episcopal Church, there was this rule that you weren't allowed to walk behind the altar if you weren't the priest. And one day when no one was looking, I tried it. <laughs> and nothing happened. <laughs> I'm still okay. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> and I went and I talked to my pastor and I said, Andrew, I walked behind the altar. And he's like, so? <laughs> we get hung up on holiness as a form and as sort of an, an empty gyration of doing something, but that's really not what holiness is. The word holy here and in its original form does not mean moral holiness or holiness of form or moral rectitude the way that our culture tends to interpret the idea of holiness. Rather, the word holy means sanctified or set apart. Uh, <clears throat> First Peter 2.9 I'm going to turn there really quickly. I had these all marked off in my Bible, but I lost my Bible somewhere in the church this morning. So... <laughs> 1 Peter 
It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you might proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You, the church, have been called out. You are called out of darkness, called away from what the world, the flesh, and the devil would call normal, and called into the marvelous light. You are called out of darkness into holiness. When something is given to the Lord, it is set apart as holy. When we are baptized, we're stating that we have given our lives and our allegiance over to the Lord, and that's, that's why it's called holy baptism. When we say that the church is holy, we are not so much saying that the people who are inside the church building on a Sunday morning are so much better than the people that are walking past the church or riding their bike past the church on a Sunday morning. Rather, we are saying that we have been set aside ourselves unto the Lord and set apart from the world uh, as it talks about in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds that you may be able to prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. We live by a different code. We have a different set of standards given to us by the Lord. We are set apart as the church of God for the worship and service of God. And we must guard against heresy. We must guard against bringing unholiness into the church and affirming it as holy. Um, one of the things that I had the honor of agreeing to when I was ordained in my ordination vows, the question is this, will you be ready with all faithful diligence to banish and drive away from the body of Christ all erroneous and strange doctrines contrary to God's word and to use both public and private admonitions and exhortations to the weak as well as the strong within your charge? as need shall require and occasion shall be given. We need to watch out for erroneous and strange doctrines contrary to the word of God. And they are everywhere. And they're usually used to justify sin or to try to cast something in a light that doesn't require us to change. <laughs> so when we say as a church that we are holy, we are set apart, we are supposed to look different than the world. That's the way it should be, and that is the right way. Catholic, one holy Catholic church. Catholic, this, this word um, is a struggle for many of us because of the immediate association with the Roman Catholic Church. Okay, that's not this Catholic. That's big C Catholic. This is little c Catholic. <laughs> um, it means Christian. And there are two major aspects to this word that we're going to look at today that we need to focus on. The first one is the universality of the church. The idea that the church transcends all of these denominational and national boundaries. Okay? Um, we think about the Russian Orthodox, the Greek Orthodox, the Syrian Orthodox, the Egyptian Orthodox or Coptic Church. Right? There's all these different denominations that seem to have a national name Within them, the Catholic Church, the Holy One, Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church is one church under Jesus Christ. And these divisions are really not part of it. Um, 
the true church has all sorts and all manner of people. It's not based on race or social status. You know, years ago, the Episcopal Church used to be considered the, uh, the sort of church for the ruling class. <laughs> you know, the, the higher, upper crust of society. And, and then there were the Baptists, way down over here, you know. And, and there's these stereotypes that are associated with different denominations, and it's, it's really terrible because... We are called to go out to all people. And in fact, Jesus gave just as much time, if not more, to those on the margins than the religious elites. He gave them all a chance to repent and to hear the truth as well. But he was no respecter of persons in that way where he treated people differently. Because the truth is the truth, whether you're living under a bridge or in a mansion, right? You want to see what the church is going to look like. And the church, the one true church that Christ is building in his bride. We have to look at Revelation chapter 5 verse 9. If you really want to skip to the end here. And see where this is all headed. And I invite you to turn there if you want to while I'm flipping there. Um, Revelation 5 9. They sing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slaughtered, and by your blood you ransomed for God saints from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them to be a kingdom and priests serving our God that will reign on earth. And you can go on, and it says, uh, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and they numbered myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, singing with full voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. It's the scene in heaven. It's not going to matter whether you were a Methodist, Anglican, you know, Baptist, Presbycostal congregation, whatever the case may be. It's the one church under Jesus Christ. The other aspect of Catholic means that the totality of the faith is proclaimed. Not one little slice of it here or there. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, um, take for example, like the Baptist church. Okay, and you could pick out a distinctive from just about any denomination. This is a, an obvious one, okay? The Baptist church... As the name implies, emphasizes a particular aspect of the faith, which is believer's baptism. If you look back at the history of the church, it was a really good reason for why they were formed, why they did what they did. Um, it was, there was an entire population in Europe that had been baptized, but pretty much they were pagan. <laughs> Their faith was not alive to them. You know, when they were baptized, it was sort of a fire insurance baptism as an infant and that sort of thing. And, and um, then as far as walking it out later in life, it wasn't there. They, they didn't do it. They weren't raised in the knowledge and love of God in their family in that respect. And so out of that comes this, you know, in church history, this group that are emphasizing believers' baptism because they're trying to correct something that they perceive to be a excuse me, a significant issue. So they decided to get on to the idea of baptizing after a profession of faith is made. It's not a terrible idea, and it's still a matter of, of debate in the church today. 
It's a division, but it was made with the best of intentions, with the interests of safeguarding something important in the faith. So, but the Catholic Christian faith implies the whole of the faith for the whole of the world, not just a few pet ideas and doctrines and denominational distinctives that are close and near and dear to our hearts. These divisions will not exist when Christ comes for his bride. They will drop away and we will understand the fullness of the truth of the one holy Catholic and now apostolic church. I'm moving quickly because I know it's hot <laughs> and we have communion too. Um, but I don't want us to miss some things here. Apostolic. Does this mean apostolic succession? The idea that Peter laid his hand, Jesus laid his hands on Peter, Peter laid his hands on somebody, who laid his hands on somebody, who laid his hands on somebody, on somebody, on somebody, all the way down the line. Um, <clears throat> to quote Terry Fulham, empty hands on empty heads preserve nothing. <laughs> okay? Um, an apostolic church is a church that is in harmony with the faith and teaching of the apostles. We have to look at the church in the New Testament. We have to look at Acts chapter 2. Look towards what are the distinctives of the church, of the apostles, of the apostolic church. What was it like when they were coming together as the body of Christ? Okay? They came together, they broke bread, they worshipped, they sang, they prayed, they held all things in common, they contributed to the needs of the saints, they preached the gospel. They lived it out. They walked it out. That's what made up the church. That's what we are saying when we say apostolic church. The faith that has been handed to us in the New Testament is more than a set of ideas or doctrines or teachings. It is the way that we live together in holy community with one another following an interaction with a holy and living God. If we were truly part of a purely functioning apostolic church with no hindrances, habits, or hang-ups, it would probably feel a little foreign to us. You know, we have patterns of doing things, and, you know, we have a certain expectation for what Sunday morning will look like. And, and someone put it this way, the faith has functioned so long subnormally that if it were to become normal, it would seem abnormal to us. <laughs> if the function of the apostolic church as seen in Acts 2 were freely working perfectly among us without any hindrances or anything like that, we might look a little different on Sunday morning. So what then is the church? The ecclesia, the called out ones made up in a large sense of people who have heard the word of the Lord and responded to it. But people come together to worship, to pray, to give offerings, to hear the word of the Lord, and then go out to do the work of the Lord. This is what we understand to be the church. Whether we meet under a tree in Africa or in a hot building in Brownsville or, you know, in a basement in China because it's getting dangerous to worship together. We are the bride of Christ, the beloved of God, betrothed to God. And we can't fully walk in where God has called us without being part of the church. Attending the church does not make us a Christian any more than sitting in a garage makes us a car. <laughs> Trying to live the Christian life apart from the body of Christ will be a sad shadow of what it could be with all the members working together if we stay away from the church. So with all her warts, 
The church is the building of Christ, the body of Christ, holy and called apart flock, and the bride of Christ called together by God, instituted by Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and we are called to be a part of her, we are called to defend her, to steward the truth handed down through her, to work to bring her by the power of the Holy Spirit to the vision of the church in Holy Scripture. Lord, thank you for entrusting this faith to us. Thank you, God, that we do not follow uh, an empty form. But Lord, we are part of something instituted by Jesus Christ himself and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Forgive us for our divisions and our wrong thinking. Forgive us for our own selfishness and what's comfortable for us. Help us to lay those things aside that we might follow you, Lord, into the future with hope, with joy, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.